Our Lord God, thank you for uh, giving us the Psalms to come to know something more of yourself and also to teach us uh, wisdom in the way that we should live. Please help us to benefit from this time now and we ask uh, for your work in our lives uh, so that we might do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you noticed that there are some seasons in life where it's a bit easier to pray than at other times in life? Uh, when I was landing in a jet in Bali a few years ago, uh, in the midst of some torrential monsoon rain, I found that prayer came quite naturally to me, I must say. Uh, my plane was landing uh, not long after another Garuda Indonesia airline had actually uh, crashed. Crash landed and uh, the pilot came in too fast and the plane broke in half. It was all a bit spectacular. Anyway, so I was on my way into Denpasar Airport and as we came down through the clouds, the, um, the plane realised there was lots of water and he was going too fast and so we, we quickly aborted the landing and then shot off into the air like a rocket once again. The trouble was, because we'd flown from Melbourne, we were still running out of fuel uh, and that baby had to come down sooner or later uh, and I was thinking, well, this could be it. Anyway, I found that uh, at that time it came quite naturally to me to, to spend some time in prayer and get focused. We did land. Normally planes land straightwards when they come into land, uh, but this one landed sideways <laughs> as it went skidding up the runway. And I think uh, after the sound of cheers from the entire plane, the whole 747, everyone was pretty happy, uh, there were probably a number of other people praying on that flight as well. I wasn't in control of that situation by any means. If I was, it would probably be a worse result anyway. But um, I must say, it seemed to me that when we are out of control, those are the times that we uh, find it easy to come to pray. But what about the times when we feel like we are in control of our lives? Do we find it easy to come to prayer then, when we think we've got a handle on things, when we've got a grip on life? I don't think so. I think these are the times when we can be a bit forgetful of God uh, and we, we maybe stop praying. But at the same time, we've got to ask are we kidding ourselves? When are these times when we feel like we've really got control over our lives? When are the times when we've really got a handle on our existence and we're dominating it? Well, today, as we look at this psalm in Psalm 90, we're getting a solid reminder that we're never really in control in life. It's an illusion. And ultimately, our lives are in God's hands. But it reminds us that... Uh, even, even still, whether we're faced with um, crises events or just the humdrum of life, uh, the right approach is to come to God in prayer and to ask God for help. Well, we pick it up in uh, chapter 90, verse 1, and find that uh, this is a psalm titled The Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. I was glad to see he had big letters there. He could read that out for us on his little iPod. Uh, and maybe this casts our mind back to a time when the Israelites were trudging around in the desert between when they went from Egypt into the Promised Land. And it starts out by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. And so before they'd even reached the Promised Land, uh, they'd always had God as their refuge. They, they sought God as the, their dwelling place, who'd been a comfort for them, even though they hadn't lived in the land that he was taking them to. But God had been there even before their generations, even before Abraham was called. God had still been there. In fact, 
Verse 2 tells us, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. And so from the very beginning of this psalm, we see that God stands in stark contrast to people. He's there from everlasting. Even the mountains, uh, at one time they weren't there, but God brought them forth. And just to get a feel for how old the mountains are, I, I looked in a, a journal from, uh, from Port Macquarie when it was discovered uh, in what was it, 1770 on the 12th of May. Uh, James Cook was actually sailing just off the coast uh, of the Hastings Valley. And at that time, he wrote this in his journal. Uh, about that time, he found some hills reasonably large and high lying contiguous to each other and not far from the beach. As these hills bore some resemblance to each other, we called them the Three Brothers. There we go. That's what Captain Cook called them uh, 240 years ago. And from that time, I don't think those uh, Three Brothers have changed too much. I don't think they've probably gone up and down too much, but that's 240 years ago. Now, the fact is, God was still long ago around before those mountains were there. I mean, it feels like a long time to think back to Captain Cook's time. But when we think about how ancient God is, he was around before them and even shaped them and brought them into being. So we see that God is the creator and he's there from the beginning. But more than that, he's the one who is sovereign over our lives as well. We see that in verse 3. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up, by evening it is dry and withered. And so we're reminded that whilst God's there from everlasting to everlasting, from all eternity, the fact is, and we know it, that we are not. That reference to the dust of the earth, you turn, return to dust, O sons of men, reminds us of the curse in Genesis chapter 3. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the fact is, the Bible reminds us this is not just a random thing that's going on. Uh, we don't find ourselves randomly in his universe. In verse 3, we're told God turns men back to dust. This is God's doing. In verse 5, God sweeps men away in the sleep of death. People are more like the grass in the Middle East where the grass seems to uh, perhaps get some dew in the morning and shoots up. By the evening, the sun comes down like the pot plants that we've got on our back deck. Uh, we, we have some nice capsicum plants there which uh, we water in the mornings, but then we need to remember to water them in the afternoon because they kind of flop over. Well, that's what we're more like. Uh, and we've got our limits. We, uh, we, we're here only for a short time. But the question is, how do you feel about the limits that God has placed on your life? Perhaps we could ask the question in a different way. Are you at peace with God about how short your life could be? Do you accept that God's actually got a number of days set for you and for me? Well, you might be okay about the number of days set for me but um, the question is are you comfortable with the number of days that God has set for you? Well in some ways as we think about the shortness of our life and the end of it uh, we've been preparing for that day the day of our death from when we become Christians haven't we? Since we trusted in the Lord Jesus we're getting ready to meet God and yet 
In other ways, although we know that with the top of our mind, our death is still going to come to us in some ways and probably to the people around us as a shock. Well, let's have a look again at the character of our lives in this fallen world, which uh, the psalmist writes about in verse 7 to 12, this world that's outside of Eden. Verse 7 says, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. The state of affairs we're, we're aware of is, is the wrath of God. That's our problem. We experience the wrath of God. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8 that the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own will, but by God's will. What we're experiencing is God's will. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and on account of that they were put out of God's presence and faced the wrath of God, unable to live uh, freely before God anymore. And the psalmist reminds us that we're all in the same boat as well. We feel guilt for our rebellion and our sin. And we're told it's almost like uh, God's got a, a, a light shining. In verse 8, our iniquities are before him. He knows us. He knows us through and through. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. God knows our secret sins. And Paul puts it this way. The wages of sin is death. We not only die because we're creatures, we die because we're rebels. The wages of sin is death. And even on the journey in life as well, it's a, it's a forlorn thought, but there are many difficulties. And we're finally overcome by the environment with, that we're trying to survive in. Genesis reminds us of some of the difficulties that people face. Women face pain in childbirth and all manner of other problems associated with having children, and also difficulties in marriage. You might say pain in marriage. Uh, for the men, we're told that the ground will require painful toil. It'll produce thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of one's brow, they'll eat their food. And you don't have to work in agriculture to be worried in your work, do you? In all manner of work, there's different pressures, different problems. Even this morning when I was trying to photocopy a roster for the ladies at 9 o'clock, the photocopy jammed three times. There's a frustration. Uh, and even something a bit more sombre than that, well, even, at, even the good times in life, we went to the carnival, uh, I think a little time before New Year's Eve, and there was a, a fight amongst the teenagers that spilled over and started to knock over barricades of some of the rides, and some of the kids in my family hadn't seen this kind of skullduggery before, so they got a bit upset seeing that. Throughout life, we've got all manner of uh, problems and pain. But the question is, are you surprised by the difficult nature of life? Does it come as a shock? Well, at one level, we shouldn't be surprised when things go pretty badly. We've been given a picture from the Bible pretty straightforwardly that we live in a fallen world. We don't live in Eden. This world's, in the past, been described by people as a, a good prison, but a pretty rotten paradise. As far as prisons go, it's pretty good. You get to 
travel the world if you want. Scott went to Southeast Asia and had some nice food. It's pretty good prisoner, isn't it? You can, you can uh, you know, go for a surf and play games with your people, the other prisoners. As a prison goes, it's pretty nifty, but as a paradise, it's dreadful. If this is paradise, what kind of paradise is where you go to the carnival and girls are getting their head punched in? It's, it's, it's shocking. And I don't need to mention the, only, the other physical ailments and troubles that people might have had in the last few months or weeks. How many people here have been on antibiotics or have seen a doctor in the last three months? I bet there's a whole stack of people. Life outside of Eden is difficult, but we shouldn't be surprised. Verse 9 tells us that all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Even as Christians, even though we've been uh, made right with God through the work of Jesus, we still struggle through life. We still have to face the wages of sin, which is death and a struggle on the way. And in the end, we, uh, we never live forever either. We get the death rattles. If you've worked in nursing homes long enough, you, you know people, when they're winding down, they have a, a rattle that reminds them they're, they're on their way out. But having established that we live our lives under the wrath of God, that's our problem, the psalmist now challenges us to how we're going to live. Are we going to live well? He says in verse 11, Who knows the power of your anger? Or if you like, who understands or recognises the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, do we see life from the psalmist's point of view? Do we understand that life and death aren't just random, they are in God's hands? Have we learnt anything from the briefness of our own lives and the difficulties that we've faced? Have we learnt anything from the sorrow of our own lives and the sorrow that we see in the lives of others and the experience of knowing that people don't stay here forever? Well, without the fear of the Lord, it's life's just one thing after another. And life can be simply explained by natural causes. But if we don't understand the fear of the Lord, we won't understand what God's done to deal with our sin as well. He, we won't understand what God's done to deal with his wrath for sin. We won't understand that second half of the verse, which I read out earlier, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. He, he laid down his life and took it up again for our sins. And we'll only understand that as we realise that a holy God cannot tolerate sinful people like us and we need forgiveness uh, and in his kindness. We don't stay under his wrath. We we enjoy life with God, eternal life through Jesus. In verse 12, the psalmist challenges us again about wisdom and says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do we accept that each day is a gift of God? That they'll pass away quickly and we'll fly away? At the end of our days, are we going to sit, at the end of the night even, when we come to go to sleep, are we going to sit there? and say, oh, I'm glad I survived another one, I'm glad that one's out the way. Or we're going to sit and pray and thank God that we've been given another day uh, and enjoy one more day that he's given out of the number of days that he's given to us. Some people have noticed 
particularly in the public service where I've worked, uh, they wish their lives away. They might be 20 years out from their retirement, but they're still wishing their lives away. They, they can't wait till the end of the day and it seems as though they, they just want their life to end. Is that how God wants us to number our days? Is that numbering our days are right to wish our lives away? I don't think so. I think God wants us to appreciate the gift of life while we've got it and to live for his glory. But in the final part of this psalm, we see that the psalmist longs for a new era, a revolution if you like, and he's asking God to change. That's what it means in verse 13 where he says, Relent, O Lord. Verse 13, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May, the deeds, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us, Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Even Christians uh, ought to be asking that question, how long, O Lord, how long will it be? As we think about the return of the Lord Jesus. Jesus promised after he was raised to life again and ascended into heaven that he would come again and take us to be with him. And we ought to be people who keep focusing on that that new era, if you like, that stage when Jesus comes again. We shouldn't feel like we're, we're at home in this life. Uh, when people are, are refugees and they're travelling away from their home country, they're, they're on their way looking forward to a new country. We should be more like them, thinking about the new country that we're coming to. But the fact is, we've still got to, we've still got to live here uh, between the time when Jesus has come now and when Jesus comes again, we still have to live in this world. And in some ways we can identify with the people of uh, Moses' time, the Israelites, when they walked out of Egypt to the Promised Land. Some of them wandered in the desert for 40 years. They longed for a new country. And we learn a bit about them in Hebrews chapter 3, that they were rebellious and we shouldn't be like them. Listen to what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 3. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? All the people that came out of Egypt? Well, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, which he's talking about the promised land, if not those who disobeyed? They didn't believe that God would give them the land and so they decided not to go and take it. So God said, okay, you can walk around the desert as a punishment until you drop, your children will go in, but you won't. Verse 19 says, So we see that they were not able to enter. They couldn't enter God's rest because of unbelief. And then he challenges us in 4 verse 1. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The promised land was just a shadow of the good realities to come. The Israelites look forward to moving into the promised land, but the writer to the Hebrews saying that we're a bit like them. We're sort of on this journey. We're on our journey to the new creation, to be, uh, if you like, in glory with the Lord. But we've got to be people who persevere with our faith in the Lord. 
And so he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Those people were on a journey, but many of them didn't enter that land because they were disobedient. Well, we shouldn't be like them. But the rest that we look forward to is certainly going to be a new era and it'll be like a time expressed in verse 14 where the psalmist says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. This is God's covenant love to his people. That we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Now some of our days we don't sing for joy. Uh, In this age, even as Christians, we face many hardships and complications and there's heartache and tears and people sob get depressed and hit, hit the skids very hard. But we've got to keep our focus on a different era that's coming, a day when we'll sing for joy and be glad for all of our days. But in between, it's not wrong for us to turn and God, ask God to help us. It's okay to ask God to help us when we're in a crisis. I think it's understandable to pray that God will help us when we're in a plane that's going down or we saw the floods on the big screen when people are cut off from civilization and they need they need supplies to stay alive and medicine it's a good thing to pray to god in times of crisis there's no shame in that but at the same time we've got to recognize that our lives are out of control anyway Uh, god's got our days numbered uh, and we need to ask him for his help so that we might live even now before his kingdom comes so let us be people who don't become God forgetful, let's remember to see our lives under God's hand, even now, before we enter his kingdom in glory, and let us be people who continue to come to God in prayer, not just in the crisis times, but also in the rest of the times in our lives as well. Let's come before God in prayer now. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we acknowledge that even though we're reconciled to you, that we're no longer your enemies because we trust in Jesus and what he's done for us, laying down his life for our sin, that we might be forgiven. We still know that we live outside of Eden and we will experience the wages of sin, which is death, and many hardships that go along the way as well. Lord, we thank you, though, that even though we struggle through life and we know that we'll be overcome by the grave, that we have the gift of eternal life that's in Jesus, our Lord. And Lord God, we look forward to entering that uh, complete and final rest with you. Father, until that time, we pray that you would help us to survive, to live well as your people. And we ask that you would help us in our journey, not just in the times of crises, but just in the times that we need to survive. And we ask that you would establish the work of our hands until your kingdom comes in all its fullness. Lord, help us to be not like those people who were disbelieving and who didn't enter your rest and whose bodies fell in the desert. Father, help us to be people who continue with our trust in you and to make uh, our journey's end uh, where we enjoy life with you eternal. We pray that you'd strengthen us in that. We pray that you'd help us to encourage each other to remain steadfast as your people. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.